church members consider it normal to attend 12 services per year. Yeah, that's the new normal. You say, you, if you commit, if you attend 12 Sundays a year, you say you're committed to your church. It's true. Beloved, that's not normal. That's for Satan. Welcome to New Life. I'm Terry Knight, the pastor here at New Life Community Church. I thank you so much for turning us on, tuning us in. I trust, as always, that the Lord's going to bless you all over the place as we fellowship together here for the next several moments. Hey, let me just say right off the get-go, if I look a little tired during this particular episode, it's because I've just endured the 20th annual New Life Youth Awakening. What a weekend. What a great time. Thank the Lord for that and for every decision that was made for every teenager and adult that uh, helped us in this effort of putting the gospel out there and discipling young people. What a great time. I'll look forward to telling you more about that in the days to come. Now, we're going to ramp up a message tonight that's titled, Disobedience Equals Division. It's a very timely message. And here's what I want you to understand. Quite often through the annals of history, something has happened that it doesn't turn out too, way, uh, too well. People, human beings, just like yourself and myself, people begin to embrace sin. And as they do, in other words, sin is tolerated. Sin is accepted. Sin is embraced. And when that happens among a larger group of people, then God allows for something to happen. I believe this nation is experiencing that right now. That's not a good thing. But God has something better for us, and I trust that you will know and understand that as we get into this teaching and as you learn from it and learn how that you might benefit and grow in the grace of God as opposed to forsaking that and just having a terrible, horrible experience with your life. I want to read one verse, of here, uh, one verse of Scripture in your hearing. This is taken from 2 Kings, and it begins around verse 4 of uh, chapter 13. 2 Kings chapter 13. Actually, I want to go down to around verse number 6. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to go there with me. Chapter 13, verse 6. But they did not turn away from the sins of the house of Jeroboam which he had caused Israel to commit. They, and we'll find out who that is, they continued in them. Also, the Asherah pole remained standing in Samaria. 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 6. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for each one listening in right now. Uh, whether they're listening live or later, by whatever means, I pray that by your word you would speak to hearts challenge us to be about your business, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Listen, you have a uh, trust that you'll keep your Bible handy and follow along with us as we look to see what the Word of God has to say during this particular teaching. God bless.
ago. They courageously obeyed the words of the scroll, if you please, because they loved the God of the Word. That's why they obeyed. Now, quickly, let's contrast that with our text. 2 Kings 13, 4, look at this real quick. Then Jehoahaz sought the Lord's favor, and the Lord listened to him. And he saw how severely the king of Aram was oppressing Israel. The Lord provided a deliverer. Say, yay. And they escaped from the power of Aram. So the Israelites lived in their own homes as they had before. God delivered them. And look at verse 6. But, but. They did not turn away from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, which he had caused Israel to commit. They continued in them. Also, the Asherah pole remained standing in Samaria. Once again, I want to encourage you to giggle that when you get home and see what an Asherah pole is. And you will come away from that thinking, icky poo, you've got to be kidding me. These people were wicked what I'm talking about, and they returned to their wickedness. Hey, I want to ask you this. Here's another question, and it's a question for you. Is this, is this accounting a prehistoric snapshot of our own land today? Has God delivered America? I could talk about our initial freedom and deliverance from tyranny. I could talk about this world war and that world war and this skirmish and that skirmish and this terrorist bombing and that terrorist bombing. I could go on and on and on. Has God delivered us? Has God rescued us time and again? Has he, church? But, but. Now, to try to land this thing, I've been impressed to key in on something that I believe you'll find very practical today, and that's what I try to be. I try to give you some tools to take away from here that will help you Monday through Saturday. Number six on your study notes, because of Israel's national acceptance of sin, you may want to underline Israel and write some other nation over top of it that might come to mind. Are you following me, Americans? Because of Israel's national acceptance of sin, God allowed for something drastic to transpire. This has remained true and oft-repeated down through the annals of history. Sin is tolerated by the people. Sin is accepted by the people. Sin is embraced by the people. God's word at that point is effectively lost upon the people. Therefore, God allows for something drastic to transpire. That fiasco can often transfer from generation to generation and ultimately bring the wrath of God to bear upon such nation, a nation that was once blessed indeed. You ready for another question? Is it possible? Is it possible that we, America, 
that we're experiencing this very thing right now? I wonder if anyone has considered, and I stand to be corrected, but I'll ask you to think about this. I've had more time to prayerfully think about it than you have. Has anyone considered much of what is portrayed as a broken immigration system on our borders now creeping into our cherished dream vacation destinations? Has anyone considered that such is actually the consequence of our own wholesale acceptance of sin? I'm, going, I'm taking you to Luke chapter 18. Will you go? Come and go with me to Luke 18. Go over there with me in your Bibles. I can't, preacher. I don't know where it is. <laughs> Maybe you can find it this week and bring it back with you next Sunday. Let's not even talk about the biggie sins. Do you know about the biggie sins, the big ones, that we all like to feel so smug about? You know, I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do. <laughs> Listen to Luke 18, 9. Look at this. To some who were confident of their own righteousness, you are spiritually ignorant. And I say that in a, a, as caring as I can. I, I want you to catch this. If that's you, you're spiritually ignorant. Some who were confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else. You know this? You know this type? Jesus told them this parable. Now understand who the target is. So the group we call the scribes and Pharisees quite often, the Pharisees in particular, boy, the self-righteous bunch, it was all about them for sure. So Jesus is talking to these guys. Boy, Jesus had some courage, didn't he? Hmm. Verse 10, two men. How many men? Two men went up to the temple. Where were they going? Both of them, right? Two men went up to the temple to pray. Why were they going? Both of them. Look at this. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now you got to listen to what's going on right here. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And when he said these two men went up to the temple, one a Pharisee, all those Pharisees around there was like, man, he is getting ready to brag on us, talking about us going to the temple. Couldn't get any better than this. And now he mentions this tax collector, and all the Pharisees hated the tax collectors. You know why? Because the tax collectors, well, they were in cahoots with them in some respects, but the tax collectors took from them their God, little g-o-d. The tax collectors took away from them their moolah, their money. And for them, money was prestige and power. Thank the Lord we no longer have that problem on earth. <laughs> Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. That's what Pharisees do. They stand up and pray 
about themselves. Oh, Lord, you know how great I am. Let me tell you, Jesus, how great I am. He prayed about himself. And look what he said. God, I thank you that I am not like all other men. Then he named the biggies. Robbers, evildoers, even adulterers. People having sex with people they're not married to. Married, but they're not married to them. I'm glad I'm not part of that group, one of the biggies. Now notice what he said. Even like this tax collector. (laughs) And then look at verse 12. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Let me break this down for you what the Pharisee was praying in the parable. By the way, the parable is a story. Jesus was telling a story, an earthly story, a physical story to help us understand some heavenly spiritual principles. And what he was trying to to help them see is this Pharisee was saying, I don't do the biggies. Oh, I don't rob, I don't do evil, I don't, I don't commit adultery, I don't do the biggies. And I do this, I do religious ritual. Religious ritual. And I have to ask myself, is this us? We don't do the biggies, do we? We don't do the biggies. But what about the modern day version of losing the word? What you talking about, preacher? Those claiming to know Christ and claiming to believe in the Bible... And they couldn't find the book of Esther if you held a gun to their head. Are you with me? And I'm not talking about cheating and using your electronic device and having it look it up for you. Beloved, that's a dereliction of duty. Fill in number seven with me. You are commanded, whoever you are, you are commanded, we are commanded to study the Word of God. Study to show yourself approved unto God. We're commanded to study this, not just say we believe it. Oh, we don't do the biggies, but what about those that refuse to honor the commands of Hebrews 6? Are you familiar with that passage? It talks about growth. It talks about maturity. It talks about you don't just, you're not just born again. You sign a paper, you shake somebody's hand, you just, you're right there and you just kind of keep looking back at that and still just acting as goofy as ever. But it talks about growth and maturity. Do we honor those commands or choose rather to remain ignorant and remain uneducated with regards to things alike Holy Spirit-led times of fervent prayer with the other members of our own body? Citing such childish excuses as, Pastor, you know I can't pray in front of other people. Well, God help you, you poor little thing. Listen, if this little redneck from Satspahal that can't even speak proper English can do it, then you ought to be willing to at least give it a shot. 
It's not my job to, to lull you to sleep here, but to help you to understand how to become mature and grow in the things of the Word. Amen. Yeah, but I don't do the biggies. <laughs> Bless your heart. What about the epidemic? Y'all might want to draw your feet up under the chair right here. What about the epidemic of forsaking the assembly? Did you know statistics tell us today some smart people have figured this out? Church members, not to mention those who haven't jined up yet. Church members consider it normal to attend 12 services per year. Yeah, that's the new normal. You say you, if you commit, if you attend 12 Sundays a year, you say you're committed to your church. It's true. Beloved, that's not normal. That's forsaking. Trying to help someone. What about the clear command of the Great Commission? Would you turn with me right now to the Great Commission in your Bible? Do you know where to find it? That was just a test. You really don't have to turn there. There's actually three of them. The Great Commission, where we are told, not just Pastor Terry, but you. It's just my responsibility to remind you that we are called to go into all the world and to, to, to carry the gospel to them. Oh, we don't do the biggies. Well, what about this one? What about this little one? What will it be that will turn the tide in our own land? What will it be that will bring America back to where it should be in terms of our relationship with God and our relationship with the Word? What will it be that will turn even Henry County, Virginia and surrounding areas or, or little old Ridgeway Community, What will it be that will turn the tide in our area? Listen, the solution is, is the same as it's always been. A turning from wrong and a turning to God's right. That is the unless. There will be trouble unless there is a turning. You are familiar with this passage. It's written down in every church across the country somewhere, Second Chronicles 7 and 14. It's a promise from the Lord. Are you familiar with that promise? God says, if my people, it's a big if, if is a big word, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves, forsake their ways and turn to me, God says that he will hear and heal their land. It's just that simple. One of the horrors of personal sin is that it does affect not only the perpetrator, but also other persons. And watch this. Enough other persons affected, soon enough, garner enough synergy to be an affected nation. That is where we are, by the way. In part, the reason we presently live in a culture 
that is given to an unbiblical, anti-biblical philosophy is due to letting ungodly attitudes go unchecked. Not on behalf of the government. We love to point to them, don't we? It's their fault. Well, who put them there? A machine, I get it. Not on behalf of the government, but rather among the average citizen, often the average church attendee. God help us. I'm going to ask you to stand up with me right now, right there where you are. If you're physically able, just stand up, and I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. No one looking around because this is personal. <clears throat> Excuse me, sound man. How many of you here this morning say, Pastor Terry, I've been born again. I'm a Jesus chaser. I've made arrangements to spend eternity with God in heaven. I've been saved. And here's my hand as a testimony to it. How many of you? I know I've been born again. <coughs> you can put your hands down. If you could not lift your hand then, now I want to challenge you that the next time I ask that, you can lift your hand by confessing your sins right now and repenting of your sins right now, opening up your heart's door and asking Jesus to come in by Holy Spirit to cleanse you of all your unrighteousness and to take His rightful place on the throne of your heart. You get out of the way and let him lead. And you believe that he did. He's going to do what you ask him to do based upon God's true and eternal word. I want everybody, whether you're born again or not, and if you're not, you might not want to repeat after me, but I'm going to ask you saints to repeat after me and give folks a chance this morning to pray what I just talked about. And it goes like this, Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done wrong. I violated your word. And I'm sorry. I repent. Help me, Lord, to turn away from the sin and to turn to you. Forgive me. Wash away. All my sin and fill me with your spirit. Take your place in my heart, in the driver's seat, and lead me in the way everlasting. I believe you have done this work in my heart. In Jesus' name. And let me see your eyeballs just a moment. There are people that say it's not that simple. It is that simple. God wants you to have a relationship with Him. He's made it easy on purpose. God did the hard part by sending His Son to the cross. Jesus died for your sins. We just have to accept that. 
And if you prayed that perhaps for the very first time, I want you to know as you leave here today, you've been born again, and I encourage you to continue to grow in that. Get the, the Word of God. And if you don't have a copy, you see me, I'll get you a good one. I'm not talking about a small flimsy thing. We will get you one and help you to understand how to get started with that. Amen? That's good stuff. The Bible tells us that all the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that repents. One. Wow. That's how important lost people are to God. Sets all of heaven ablaze with praise when one comes home. Hallelujah. Well, we had a prayer. <clears throat> Is it too late for that? Did it lose the, leave the screen? I want you to pray this with me and think about this as you do. Pray it right out loud with me. Read it right out loud with me right now as a prayer. Faithful Father, help me this week to listen for your word. Give me divine opportunities to sow it into others' hearts. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask. Amen. It's on your study notes. I challenge you to pray that with me throughout the rest of this week. Beloved, we're going to wrap it up right there. And I trust this scene at the end of this teaching really ministered to your heart. Yes, we still do what they call old-fashioned altar calls at New Life. Now, they don't always look old-fashioned. We do them a lot of different ways. The bottom line is we ask people to go into the altar of their heart and make a decision for Christ. Walk through that pretty clearly on that Sunday morning, and that happens quite often. I have a, uh, attempted to do that on this program as well, live and in person. But I trust if you prayed that prayer, if you made a decision for Christ and asked Him to come into your heart, I know that He will honor that, and I trust and pray that you would be very uh, prompt and that you would resolve that you're going to tell other people what happened. In other words, that you'll tell everyone you know that you know Jesus. It's just that simple. That's called a testimony. It's called a witness. And if you did accept Christ and He's in there, I'm going to tell you, it changes you. In fact, the Scriptures tell us that all things become new. It makes you pretty bold to want to go tell others that you've been forgiven and you have the hope of heaven. So I encourage you to do that. How can we change this land? It looks almost hopeless today. I just explained to you, as men and women and boys and girls turn to God, the tide can be stemmed, the tide can be turned, things can change. I believe that. There's not much hope as we look at the world today in terms of it changing, but I do believe that that can happen. It can certainly happen for you. Father, I thank you again for each one listening in, and I pray that by your word that you have impressed your truth upon hearts, and that men and women and boys and girls would turn to you and change their eternity, whether this present existence changes or not, their eternity can be changed. Their life can be changed. We ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, before I get out of here, we kind of opened with this the, uh, during this particular episode, but I want to remind you again that New Life has a regular schedule of activities. This is so important. Sunday morning worship celebration. We also have a midweek gathering Wednesday at 7 o'clock. We call it Family Ministries Night, something for nearly every member of the family, and that could just include you. If you do not have a place where you regularly, normally worship with God's people, I'd encourage you to come on out to New Life 
and see what's going on here. We'll save you a seat. I'm Terry Knight, and the pastor here at New Life. I trust you're going to have a great week what's left of it. And remember, my friends, Jesus is coming back. Is He coming back for you?